What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 261. My name is Steve, and I am joined by... Ron. And John. There it is. So smooth. So smooth. Yeah. <laughs> We're professionals. Only took us 261 times to get it right. Yeah, plus yeah, or minus a half, half an epi. <laughs> so how you guys doing? Everything all right on your sides of the world? Or Baltimore, at least? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, finally got my uh, electric razor broke. Like, and my be- I guess it's a beard trimmer, not really a razor the way I use it. But my beard trimmer broke at the beginning of quarantine, and I just ordered um, a new one, and it arrived. So the big change is that I might be clawing my way out of the sort of biblical look that I've taken on. <laughs> my hair's down to my shoulders, nice. um, and I've got this long beard, and I've debated, like, should I just keep it almost a symbolic thing right. until this is all over? Right. But Sometimes you, you know, sometimes you actually catch your own reflection. I don't like those moments. <laughs> yeah. I told you to take those mirrors down, <laughs> right? Yeah, I should be like a serial killer and like cover all the mirrors in yeah. my house or something yeah. like that. Um, I've had hair. I've been completely bald, and then I've had hair again, and it's been a little weird to see my head go through <laughs> that change. I think I'm gonna go bald again in a couple days, but it's so weird to. To have been in the house for long enough for my hair to grow completely back and almost as long as it did when it started. I'm developing the anxiety of growing your hair out and then you sort of feel anxious about getting a haircut because you don't want to get a crappy haircut after going so long. Steve, you used to have long hair, right? Yeah. Like shoulder length. Yeah. Or, or beyond. So you know that feeling I'm talking about? It's not like you really treasure it, but you don't want to like waste it and go like, I waited all this time to get a crappy haircut. <laughs> So it creates a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, there definitely was anxiety, especially when you went for the the ultimate. When I went for the ultimate cut, like it cut short, short again. That was yeah. I mean, you can't really screw up this kind of haircut, but I mean, I guess you can. But I know what you're saying, though, for sure. How did you feel when you first got your haircut, Steve? Because you had the really long hair, and then you went from that to yeah. I don't know. Like I, I it was I, like a I, lifestyle change. I well, it's the I, the funny thing was like I grew up with short hair always. Like I always had short hair. Like you know, flat tops. Like I used to go to barbers with my grandfather. Like I've never, I never had long hair until I was probably, uh, God, somewhere around like 23, 24. And I just randomly Mm. started like, I just, yeah, I just basically started growing it out like with the band stuff. And like, I just, you know, went for a different look and, you know, I had it for a few years and I don't know, like, so it wasn't really the unknown to me, but I mean, it was, I had had it for so long to that point and it had gotten so long and kind of how, you know, I kind of became identified to what, most people with me and my hair and everything. And that's what I, most people that I'd met in that stage of my life, only th- that's the only way they knew me. So, like, I feel like to people, it maybe was more drastic than to me that never knew me otherwise. But, I mean, for me, it was kind of like a homecoming because it was like, this is so easy to not have to do anything with my hair at all anymore. Because yeah, when you have longer hair, like John knows and, you know, but... And any woman who takes care of her hair or a man that has longer hair, whatever, it's like, you need to take care of your hair. Like, I never loved that part of it, for sure. Like, putting products in my hair and, you know, detanglers, because my hair was super curly and wavy. So it's like, I don't know. I didn't miss any of that. So going to the short hair where it's much more manageable and uh, autopilot and you get that just don't have to do shit. So I kind of loved going back to it. (laughs) to be honest with you i mean i miss i miss it though you know but yeah i try to keep like an industrial size bottle of uh 
detangler around at all time. It's it's uh, it's like the only thing that yeah. does that job without somehow leaving my hair like dried out and frizzy. And it's really weird when I developed that, I suddenly became this person who was like, you know what? <laughs> it's important to find the right hair products for you. You know, it's right, not like right, a frivolous totally. thing. It, it, yeah. it helps you out so much to be predictable, to know how it's going to come out. And, you know, I grew up around a lot of guys who were like, just use head and shoulders and stop whining. <laughs> um, I've had short hair and long hair and short hair and long hair. And the only thing I think I'm kind of married to is the beard because right. I looked like a total baby boy when I have short hair and, and a clean shaven face. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but as long as I keep the facial hair, I think, yeah, I, I have, I have different, I do feel slightly different about it. And I, th I just think the funny thing is growing it out. It's not like you worked at it. It's not like something you did, but there is a weird thing about, all right, I want to give the person a nice block to carve out, but at the same time, I don't want them to then make me go, Oh, well, well maybe I want it to be like, right. Bam. Here's the new look. Right. <laughs> maybe you should shave your head, follow, follow Ronald's suit. Just, just, Go bald, John. I, mean, I should have done that in April or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, back yeah. then. Because it'd be right back. Well, not if we're going yeah. on lockdown again. Who? Ma what doesn't matter, you know? So Hair Schmear is yet another spinoff of this show that could happen. <laughs> that was a little taste of teaser episode, I think they call it, of our yeah our spinoff podcast coming soon yeah, to a yeah. platform near you. It was a backdoor pilot. Yep, there it was. And we just lost every listener of Movie Schmovie in the process. Yep, they're done. <laughs> Turned it off immediately. I'm done. So... What have you guys been watching? I mean, what's I feel like last week there was like a ton of stuff came out like on like these on basically across all of the major platforms like whether it was Netflix, Apple, TV Plus, uh, Hulu. I mean, every everybody pretty much had some kind of quote unquote big movie or big release that yeah. uh, that dropped. Have uh, have you guys seen much of what came out or or heard much about? I guess I'm thinking of movies like. Netflix had the release of the Charlize Theron movie, The Old Guard, and then Tom Hanks' Greyhound came out on Apple TV+, Plus. Mm. Palm Springs on Hulu, and there was another, oh, and there was a horror movie on VOD called Relic, I think maybe produced by the Russo brothers? Executive produced by the by the Russo brothers, and uh, I think one of the producers is Jake Gyllenhaal. Ah, right, um, right, right, I, right. I, that's the only one I saw. I saw Relic. I did not see any of the other big releases okay, so uh, okay. i'd be interested to hear what anybody thought of palm springs or uh or uh the tom hanks thing what's it called again greyhound greyhound yeah um well before we talk about those did, did anybody see Ham did we talk about hamilton did we get a chance to talk about hamilton i don't think we no, did we haven't talked no. about it since it came no, out do you mind talking us talking about it for a second because i really want to know what you guys thought because i'd never seen it and this is my first exposure to it i didn't listen to the soundtrack i had never seen it um, I do remember when the mixtape was kind of illegally down, illegally recorded and floating around. Um, but I, I never really exposed myself to Hamilton and this was my first exposure. So, um, I'm curious to see what you guys thought. I did not watch it and I also have never heard it. Uh, so I would be interested to hear what you guys think, but I have nothing to add except that, you know, I still intend to check it out. It's three hours, right? I feel like I needed to really, yes. it's like two forty, I think yeah. block out the time and, and treat it special. Yeah. yeah. So what'd you guys think? Steve, what'd you think? And then I can, Oh, oh. yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of, from the same approach as you guys, I mean, like I, I obviously am aware of what it is, but yeah, I had pretty much stayed away from, the soundtrack or watching clips outside of maybe hearing stuff in passing on certain websites or references in other shows or whatever, um, you know, just coming across it unintentionally. But, um, yeah, I was fucking pumped to watch this, man. Like, I was really excited. Um, 
we almost saw it when it was here in Baltimore, but um, I yeah, I don't know. I I thought it was amazing. I'm gonna just I don't. I think that I, I totally understand like the just the swell around it and just like the, the kind of force that it is. Um, I'm not a theater person. I love going to see them when I'm in New York. Or if there's something that comes to Baltimore. I, you know, I grew up going to see some and I've always been a fan of going. I don't really, I'm not super familiar with, you know, the, the staples on Broadway and like, you know, just the, the ins and outs of the, of that industry at all. It's more of like a passing thing. If, if I can see it, I see it. Or if it's something that has, you know, come to a point where everyone's talking about it, it's like a must see kind of thing. Um, but obviously this is like the one of all, uh, <laughs> one of the be- biggest ever, if not the biggest, um, but I think it, I mean, I don't know. I guess my expectations were high and I felt like it delivered on every piece of my expectations. Um, I, I just love, uh, you know, as a story of its own, like I'm not going into like all of the accuracy or, you know, the facts and things that were changed. What? Not even talking about any of that, just as a piece of entertainment. Um, I just think the cast, the, the performances, the music, the writing, the lyrics, the story itself, the stage production... You know, I just think it's like the full package of of, of what entertainment can be um, when you're really kind of, I guess, trying to put all of those things that I just said on display. Like you have drama, you have comedy, you have music, you have performance, you have songwriting, you have narrative structure, stage production, the way the stage moves and things are physically staged around certain performances during the show. Um I just found it to be pretty amazing. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything that I would say that hasn't been said about it. Um, but I'm really happy that I was finally able to see it. And like, we watched it. Um, we, we've been doing this weekly thing with, with one of my older friends from middle school. Like we kind of not lost touch. Like we, he was still in my wedding, my, my buddy Dustin and his wife, Jamie, they live out in Arizona and they've lived there for a long time. And you know, we're not the best at keeping in touch. And if there's one thing this, you know, whole coronavirus has done, it's like it's given us an opportunity to be way more in touch with one another. And we've been talking about, you know, Hamilton and like we've been doing these every Friday night. We do like a movie night, the four of us over Zoom, and we watch a movie that we haven't seen. And none of us had seen Hamilton. And it was like, hey, this is like a no brainer. So we watched it with them. And it was it was awesome. Even watching it over a digital, you know, virtual room across the country. Like we watched it together and like, we were just singing the songs afterwards and listening to the soundtrack. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty great. And, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is like kind of, I don't, I don't, it's kind of insane to me, um, what, what he was able to do and even just what he's still doing with other things that he has in, in production and, um, I just found it to be really, really impressive and something that I'm, I felt fortunate to be able to watch. So I have a lot of good things to say about um, Hamilton. First thing I will say, though, as a precursor to all this, is um, if you listen to Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, inspiration for all of this, it is hip-hop and everything surrounding hip-hop and hip-hop's ability to tell stories in a way that other genres can't really tell them. Um, so I have to first say, before I get into this review, that hip hop has ever has always done what Hamilton has done. I could give you a, a playlist of 50 songs that sell, tell stories just as intricately, just as beautifully, 
um, and just as well as Hamilton. So that's the first thing. I need to get that off my chest because that is a, a weird narrative that's kind of come out through this. Is like hip-hop doesn't tell these – that's not true. Um, mainstream hip-hop, hip-hop that's on the radio uh, does not do that in the same way that I can give you some deep cuts of some albums and some sto- good storytelling. So that's one. Um, Hamilton is incredible, like Steve said. And the intricate rhymes and the stories that are told and the cool things they do with some of the devices that they use in hip hop to kind of serve as um, like the debate scene being treated like yeah, a battle rap, yeah. which is very yeah. popular now. Um, and I, I think that Lynn really does understand what makes music, specifically hip hop, very special. And he highlighted it in a way that really gives light to it and i think that that is within itself is a real big feat man like it's it's next world next level type of um writing and the way that he does it i mean if somebody says that this isn't good rapping you are an idiot i'm not i'm not that's i I gotta get that off because i've heard a lot of people say it's it's not good rapping to to who though like it, if I don't know, I listen. You've listened to Eminem before, Steve. You've heard an Eminem song or two before. You know how intricate that stuff is. If if you can't compare, you can compare some of the portions that Lin Manuel does to some of the best Eminem songs I've ever heard. It's it's so intricate. It's so well done. A companion piece to this that you should check out is uh, Apple Plus's show Dear, where Lin Manuel Miranda talks about. Um, his journey to be uh, a writer and writing musicals and things like that. And they show uh, a video, which you can look up on YouTube. The first time that he performed um, one of the songs from Hamilton publicly um, in front of a large crowd, which happened to be in front of Barack Obama, where he's just like, I'm making this album concept. I don't really have it all together, but I have this song the first one that I wrote, I'm going to perform it. It is one of the most incredible things to watch yeah, <laughs> unfold as that. these people are. Yeah. Yes, unreal, man. So th- that show Deer is also one an emotional roller coaster on top of that. But Hamilton really did kind of make me feel like I'd seen, I'd seen something new in a way. You know, like a lot of the times we're seeing things that have been – done over and over and over again and i've seen hip hoppers i've seen all that stuff but i've never seen something handled with the care that this this has been handled with and you can hear in everybody's words the passion the love that you have for this art and delivering this story of this amazing person that had uh you know this dynamic impact on history so overall one of the better experiences I've ever had watching something at home. Um, and I I feel really bad that I didn't get to see it live. And now I want to see it live. But delivering it in a place where people couldn't. that I mean, look, people can't com- don't feel comfortable going to musicals for whatever reason. Cultural, um, whatever. And for Disney to deliver this in a way that's palatable to everybody it gets me a little emotional, man, because I remember when I was a kid, I was brought to see plays um, at Center Stage, and I remember the feeling of, like, I don't know if I would have come here myself. 
I don't know if I would have volunteered to come see it, but I'm I'm glad to have seen Much Ado About Nothing. I'm so glad to see, um, you know, these plays that I'd never seen before. So long story short, see it, keep an open mind, and uh, it's one of the best things I've seen in a really long time. So. Right, yeah. See it and just experience something that, you know, may never exist again. Like, you know what I mean? I, I really do feel like right. it, it's it it does feel like something very special. And I don't know if it's because like you're kind of saying, like I like what you opened with in terms of like the way hip hop can tell store, you know, specific hip hop that you're that you're mentioning can tell stories comparably, like if that's the criticism of the of the musical. But I feel like just, you know, if you just watch this musical as it is, you know, its thing, you know, I just think that there's not not even like not even beyond like, you know, the great music and like how great the songs are and the stories being told and the way he uses hip hop. But just watch it and like know that people in this are going to be stars, you know, and some of them already are stars because of it. And it's like a launching pad for careers that. You know, it'll never be like that again for some of these people. And obviously, Lynn, as you know, is paramount to that. But I mean, like the V Diggs and um, oh, what's the guy that played is in the, in the Heights? Um, oh God, I'm blanking out. He played um, John Lawrence, I think. Um, I got to, to just say that, like, people that are involved in this are 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 household names now are 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 becoming household names now not just in the theater community but in whatever they decide to do with their careers and i feel like you know this as a way of approaching a story about you know a dynamic historical figure and and what he what impact he had on history and the future and where we are now and all that stuff like just the idea of like, you know, what you were saying before about like how he kind of came up with this idea and like reading the biography and, you know, putting together the ideas of what the songs are going to be about. If you watch him talk about it, it's just a wild thing to listen to as someone who has created stuff. All of us have. But like listening to him talk about the idea for this and how it came to be what it what we watched it's kind of mind blowing. And I don't know that it's something that ever that happens a whole lot. And I mean we talk about that a lot with like movies, like, oh man, this is like amazing. It's a masterpiece. It's like a once in a lifetime thing. And I, I think I kind of feel like I kind of feel like this is one of those things too. And I mean, I, like you said, I'm very thankful to have been able to see it finally. And even in that you know unique situation that I described, the way that we watched it, like that was special to us, and it's different. And like it'll always be like that. That that's how I first saw Hamilton, and it's like a historical piece now. Like it's going to be a part of pop culture forever. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a really special thing. So, you know, definitely if you haven't checked it out, I'd, I'd highly recommend seeing it. Um, so listen to the listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. And then also Spotify has this playlist called the best storytelling rap songs of all time. Nas, Jay-Z, Outkast, Eminem, Tupac, Jay-Z. Anyway, listen to that stuff, too. So I fucking love Hamilton. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they spun the story like like rap finally caught up to Broadway, and it's more like the opposite, you know, yes. in a way. 
But I also think that that criticism people were saying about it not being real rap, I think whenever you introduce an air of theatricality to it, and it's going to be people that are repeating the exact same performance every night, there becomes this sort of level of craft that goes into it. And I feel the same way about rock operas or like rockin' songs in, in theater. It takes on a slightly different character when it's more about nailing it exactly right every night and not like a, a hip-hop show or a rock show where it might be more about the energy of that night and, right. and things going wrong in an interesting way. There's no room for that with musical theater. It's supposed to be perfect every time. And I'm not saying there's no room for passion or any variation whatsoever, but the people want to hear, like you want to go see the thing... You know what I mean? You want to see the yeah. thing that's done right. So I think that um, I think that is just a rough trip for some folks, and a lot, that's the reason a lot of people can't get down with musicals at all, is right, because yeah. it feels kind of uh, cheesy to them or something. And I did hear that criticism of, of this, and I also have heard criticisms about the implications of the way having uh, people of color in a in a like playing some of these characters that they argue this this uh, musical glosses over some of the uglier parts of history. Right, but I'm right. thinking like, is the, I just feel like if you can be awesome and incredible and you can't be um all things to all people so most right. of the criticisms i've heard almost seem like things that you reckon with after you've seen as you guys have said this huge piece of entertainment so to treat it as that and to and to appreciate that it has this this you know great music in it and to appreciate the fact that it it is a telling of a story that needs to be told or feels current or relatable to now and then you can dig in because i think even the people i've seen criticizing it many of them have said oh i loved it but i kind of hated myself for loving it because i saw all these things it was doing and some people think it's kind of nefarious the way that it sort of rewrites history around some of these unpleasant people but again i mean i just feel like to expect this to be the first historical uh, based production that that gets every detail right, you know? I think sometimes you have to sacrifice a little bit of accuracy to tell a good story or to get it down to, you know, uh, especially yeah. in a musical where there's so many pieces moving. I don't know. I, I, I feel like most of the criticisms I've heard sound like very intellectualized criticisms that you have to see it to really even understand why they're criticisms. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to me like the idea that it's... Uh, you know, it's either not for you or it's for you if it's musical theater. But as someone who generally is interested in, in whatever's going on in that realm, um, I did think it was strange, Ronald, to hear that narrative as though rap has finally discovered story. And it's like, yeah, it, you don't know. When I was in sixth grade listening to Houdini, th there were stories in those songs, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, I'm very old. And that was new then. So. <laughs> <laughs> um That also leaves a lot of space for Disney in a couple years to make a movie version of this, which... I've been thinking Absolutely. about a lot too as I was yeah. watching it. Um, yeah. That you know, some some real locations, amazing set pieces. I could see this being a movie and qualifying for awards in a couple couple years. It just seems like a, the next logical move in everything that's happened and surround it, sur surrounding the legacy of this. Uh, Musical. Well, it's like you said, Steve, it's a cultural artifact that's going to be with us for a long time. It's now a name Absolutely. that when you say Hamilton, people know what you mean the same way as, you know, Sherlock Holmes or Star Wars <laughs> or anything where it's just you hear it and you go, oh, yeah, that. So. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally it's literally all we talk about in terms of like IP. You know, Disney owns this in some way now. And obviously they are working with Lynn on a lot of stuff and um yeah, like Ronald's saying, like this is there's no reason why they wouldn't make a feature film version of this musical in however many years. Like that'll be something that 
absolutely will come out and you know will be in you know while this wasn't able to be realized maybe be the monster at the box office that they thought it could be it was a really interesting and and different decision to put it out the way they did and to hook as many people as possible from their houses onto this property because like in a couple years you'll buy a ticket to go see it in a theater if they're making a movie about it you can guarantee that so it's a it's an interesting choice for sure so yeah what else what else we watch we don't have to linger on this for too long but i just want to say ronald thank you so much for recommending never have i ever i definitely would have watched it because i had read about it Mm -hmm. but your recommendation really is what pushed me over and nikki and i were down here looking for a binge and it was like well this might be pretty good we'll know within a half hour whether we we get it you know and within five minutes we had just about canceled our plans and decided to watch as much of it as we could it's so infectious and so funny and uh, no, I thank you very much for for kind of pushing it, you know, further to the center of my radar uh, because uh, because it was just a great a great show with really, you know, performances that I don't mean to maybe this is going to sound like I'm comparing it to something that a lot of people lost uh, lost their passion for. But I remember when I first saw that show when Girls started and I just the cast I was like oh wow these characters they really popped right away and I felt this not the same way but it was a similar kind of thing of like oh wow this is a, a world where I totally get the little you know the drama between these characters and the characters popped uh, right from the first scene. And uh, no, it did some really interesting things. It was totally Mindy Kaling's sensibility <laughs> yeah. filtered through this this world, but it was a great uh, vessel for for her humor. And um, yeah, lots of uh, I don't know faces I hadn't seen before on a show, uh, both in terms of of a very diverse cast, but also a, a young actors that look like teenagers that are playing teenagers and that I haven't seen in a million things. Right. Yeah. Um, and no, no I really villains. enjoyed the heck out of it. No villains. No, uh, I, I, that's what I said. Conflict, but no villains. I love that. You know, it, it's uh, it's 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 great when someone can do that. When someone can give you the the real moment where these two people are squaring off, and you can pick sides. You know, I picked sides throughout the show. I would announce to Nikki, her her friends are being assholes right now, or you know, she's kind of in the wrong. Um, but it is great. Davy, the the lead character, she's a she's a real interesting character because they they make it clear early on that she has kind of issues with anger and lashing out, but we understand why, but it still doesn't excuse her from some of her actions. Um, so to me, that just felt like, you know, very sophisticated, but it's not like it's a dark show about someone with anger issues. It's more like a, a light, funny show that's colored with real human traits. And yeah, she had friends and enemies that switched throughout the, 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 the course of the season. And there's one relationship in particular that I wouldn't spoil for anybody, but that is really satisfying when you get to the end of the season. Um, where, where, where a certain two characters are together and you really buy it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's a cool ass show. I described it to a friend of mine as, as Mindy Kaling does Veronica Mars without the murder, <laughs> because it, it reminded me of Veronica Mars in the way that Davey's kind of a pariah. I don't know if you saw Veronica Mars, but in, on that show, she was kind of like, she had a history in her town where everybody kind of knew who she was and no one really liked her that much. And so does this character. She starts off with a lot of baggage and the history is kind of revealed throughout the season. You know, you start to understand. Um, I thought that was just enough of an arc. It is one of the better shows I've seen in the last couple of years. And I, I, I can't, I can't get enough people to watch this thing, man. Steve, we saw Palm Springs, right? I did. Did you? Yes. what do you think? Um, man, I, I I don't know if I told you. Th- so are we are we getting in the plots or spoilers or anything when we talk about it? 
Are we are we avoiding that before I start talking? Um, I haven't seen it, but if if you want to do light plot spoilers, I don't really care that much. I guess I'll I'll just kind of squint my ears. So you've seen that the that the trailers about some aspect of like Groundhog Day, things repeating themselves. Um, I I don't know how else to say this without sounding nuts. But those things send me into an existential crisis. I hate that stuff. I hate things repeating themselves. I hate that sort of thing. It bothers me a bunch, mostly because I have theories about uh, <laughs> repeating things repeating themselves. But I gave I gave myself the freedom to relax a little bit. I just because I love Adam Sandler and and all the Lonely Islands uh, brand stuff branded stuff. Uh, and I really enjoyed the movie. You mean Andy Samberg? What did I say? Who, who did I say? Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. They're the same person. <laughs> they are, he did man. play his. He did play his son in a movie, so I think it qualifies. They're kind of melting into each other. I think that's what's happening. But um, <laughs> Andy Samberg, sorry. Andy Samberg. They're both um, very funny guys with the yes. same initials. Hot, Hot Rod is one of my favorite movies of all time. I saw it in the movies three times. Um, I follow damn near any, everything he does. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I have What? Quite, what? I what? I will. I will. <laughs> uh, cool beans. All right. Last thing. All right, so anyway, uh, big fan of his his brand and the writing, man. He's, he's actually a really good actor. I gave this thing a try, and I was not disappointed. Um, somehow... They managed to put absurd with drama and deal with the subject matter of things repeating themselves in a way that you don't see very often. It's, it feels like a lot of movies that kind of have this pattern of somebody trying to break the pattern of things repeating often have the same sort of feel to them. This felt a little different. Um, and I credit that to just, I don't know, man, like... Adam, Adam, oh my God, I've almost called him Adam Sandler again. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, Andy Samberg kind of realizing that you could take something like this and uh, Kristen, what's it, Matoli, Melody, who are the two leads in the in this uh, story, who have a lot of chemistry and spend a lot of time with each other on camera. That That's the key to kind of making this work. And I don't think it could have worked without the two of them. I mean, I, di- I didn't think the movie was perfect. Um, and I did think there was some really weird parts. But overall, great movie, man. I want to see more from Adam. Jesus Christ. More from Adam. Three is it? a charm. There it was. Oh my there God. it was. Adam. Andy wow. Samberg. Just call him. Just call him ass ass. I'm saying. <laughs> I want to see more stuff from Adam. Jesus. <laughs> forget it. Forget it. I like the movie, man. What do you think, Steve? That's fucking hilarious. Ronald, you just got stuck in a loop. <laughs> I did. Your existential crisis came true. <laughs> God, that's hilarious. I think that it might be one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Um, Get out of here. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. Um, we actually did this one last Friday for our little friends movie night with our my cross country buddies, and uh, we all loved it. I mean, I've actually we've been talking about it all week, and I, I don't know. I feel like I too love Andy Samberg. I also love Adam Sandler, but right now we're talking about Andy Samberg and <laughs> um, and Lily Island. I, I just I, I 
their movies are hilarious. Like, you know, I don't think they had anything in, in writing or directing this. I think this is other people, but I, they did produce it. And I know that they they have their hands in this. But I think it's just like, um, it's just such a cool idea. And it's, it's like, this is something that we see a lot of movies dealing with a time loop idea and like things repeating itself. And um, I just think it's kind of like a creative way to use it to frame a rom-com around it you know what i mean like i feel like the idea of the trope of like unlikely characters finding each other and how they find each other in a rom-com and and using that idea like of a loop or of things repeating themselves to be not what not what forces them together but what allow them to find themselves and each other in the process it's just like a cool idea. I thought it was very funny. Um, I thought it was very efficient. Not too long, not too short. It moves really fast. Um, a fun, a fun uh, supporting performance from J.K. Simmons. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I just I, I love uh, Sandberg. I love Miliati. I, I she was on a show that I think I don't even think it lasted a season called A to Z, which was like a fun, like little romantic comedy series she had a few years ago on one of the networks, like ABC or NBC or something. But I love seeing her come up in anything. Like she's in one of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror. I just love her. Um, and she's really good in this movie. I think she's probably the best part of the movie. Um, but I don't know. Like I genuinely love this movie. And I think just the way it approaches the loop and the repeating of of certain actions, certain story beats, and then the way it may maybe slightly changes and doesn't slightly change in certain ways um, without giving too much away. I, I just really like um, how how this movie kind of lays it out and, and, and kind of mixes it up with the, the standard tropes of a rom-com. And I, I just thought it is really effective, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. Cool. I'm glad you liked it, man. I, I enjoyed it, too. If if I'm honest with myself, it definitely was one of my favorite movies of this year, man. It, it is, it's just a fun movie. Like I said, the subject matter on the surface would seem like it'd be kind of a hard thing to tackle in a funny way, but it's done really well and acknowledges how absurd it is, but it, it's right. really well that done. That that's what yeah I, what you just said is like I think a key to why it works is that it does acknowledge how ridiculous the idea of what's happening is, and and he, Sandberg's character like he kind of approaches it from that uh, mindset like for every loop you know what I mean like and I I think that the fact that that is consistent and um, is a part of his character development, I think is, is what makes it work. But yeah, I think it's just like so easy to watch. It's, it's funny, it's sweet and it just kind of gets to a climax that works. And it's just like, wow, that was an hour and a half. That was, that was a good time watching a movie. And that's kind of how I, I haven't really felt that streamlined about watching many movies this year. And this was definitely towards the top of my list. I think. Aha. Uh-huh. Cool, man. Um, that makes me happy. Yeah, I would I would re- definitely recommend this one on on I think you can watch it somehow they have it set up. I think you can watch it on Hulu for free or something. They have some promotion going. I think you can watch this either through Hulu or through Hulu on YouTube or something. You can watch this movie for free like as you're listening to this podcast. No, I really like those both those actors and I agree that um 
Andy Samberg, phew, I got it right, <laughs> um, that he is he is sort of a, a I don't know, not to say he's more talented than people might have might have thought because I think he's had a pretty successful career, but I do think he's capable of a little more heavy lifting than you might have thought from some of his, you know, silliest comedy. But I think you can tell from his silliest work from the, uh, Lonely Island, uh, like music videos to the little shorts they would do to hot rod right, right. And, and on, you know, even through uh, Brooklyn nine, nine, you can see that he's got chops. Like he, he's capable of kind of, um, like he's got that sort of charm and he plays that kind of oblivious, well-meaning dopey guy pretty well. But you, it's one of those things where you really have to have a, an intelligence to do that. And so I think he's a guy who uh, kind of continues to impress me. He's always sort of pitch perfect for what he's doing. And he seems like a really level-headed guy too. And when you catch him in interviews or, or on a podcast or something like that. So no, I, I really like his, uh, his vibe. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see that. I just didn't have time today. <clears throat> I, had, I had a choice of either watching that or watching um, Relic. And I chose, since I was, since I was trying to do my horror movie uh, overview, I thought, well, I should, I should add one more horror movie to the pile. Are you guys ready to hear a quick list of horror movies? And you can tell me if you've seen Transitions. them. Transitions. <laughs> I've seen this none is the, of them. This is the new feature. Horror are you doing? Because I'm trying to uh, find out what's going on in the world of horror. I realized I used to be the guy who'd seen them all, and then I became a guy who hasn't kept up. And I just started the uh, free trial of Shudder, so I'm going to watch a lot of stuff uh, probably in the next week because it's a seven-day free trial, and I'm cheap. Uh, but I saw the movies Two Heads Creek. Anyone see that? No? No. Uh, Scare Package, an anthology film. Anybody seen that? Nope. No? Uh, you Should Have Left. Yep. The Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seyfried film, and Relic, which is a nope. Well, Steve, what did you think of uh, You Should Have Left? Um, I think it started out pretty strong, actually, and I think it kind of falls apart around like the 45-minute mark. Um, I really like Kevin Bacon in, in, in general, and uh, is it David, is it Kep? Is that his last name? Is it pronounced like that? It's Kep, the, yes. The... Written and directed by David Kep. He adapted it from a, um, a book by Daniel Kelman, I think. So I didn't know the book. But David Kep also directed Stir of Echoes, which was another horror movie that uh, Kevin Bacon did years ago. Uh, but he's also, he's most known as a screenwriter. Didn't yeah, he do like, Jurassic Park? Yes. Wasn't... Yeah, he's like he's like one of the big ones out there. Like he's a big gun in screenwriting. He's another guy who has done a lot of drafts for Spielberg and, and things like that, that at some point in the process, he had his hands on structuring a script, but he's not always the guy who has the, the final credit, but he's been around very right, active right. for a while. So I do think you, I do think you catch some of that craft in this movie, but I, I guess I would kind of agree with what you said. It's not so much like it peters out. It's just like, it doesn't add anything new to the equation after right. about the halfway point. Right. And it begins this process of playing out something that you can kind of predict. It's still got a few good moments and the atmosphere I thought was great, but yeah, the story you can't, like I said, you can't say it doesn't sort of complete its concept. It's got that kind of closed loop that we were talking about with like a Twilight Zone episode. I just don't know if there was enough story to sustain a movie length thing, unless there was going to be a little bit more misdirection or something that I was realizing is the problem with a lot of what people call elevated horror. And I love a lot of those movies. And you guys know, right. I'm often the guy who defends a movie like The Witch as this is an actual horror film. It's just a different 
take on it, you know, different pacing. But I think what makes a movie elevated is that it doesn't give you like the steady stream of victims. And in a less elevated movie, they understand that about every 15 minutes, you want to see somebody die <laughs> in it like a gross <laughs> way or something. And I think an elevated movie starts off with three characters and ends with three characters. You know what I mean? And, and you kind of go, okay, well, I, I guess I kind of wanted to see somebody get ripped asunder, but I didn't really want that to happen to anyone in this scenario. So you kind of need more cannon fodder for a good a good mainstream horror movie to have those periodic moments. What do you think of that assessment, Steve? I think that's accurate. That's good. That's a good uh that's a good breakdown. I think that's good. Because that's what this movie does is at a certain point you realize the tracks that it's on and you go, "Oh, okay, I kind of get what mystery about the past of this character is going to collide with the present day story and I get right. where we're going." Right. Yep. But what I thought was really effective was the the discovering the kind of this house that they go off to, Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried and their daughter go off to a place and she's his his new wife after after something happened to his first wife and so there's stories about him that the daughter is finding out and she's a little girl so this is all new to her and this house is really bizarre and austere and creepy from the start but it gets weirder and weirder um, and it's got some really cool visual devices as far as how he explores the house. And I really did feel a sense of dread, like, like descending into nightmare or descending into hell in a couple of moments. And I thought that was really well done, but yeah, it doesn't have anywhere to go from there. And again, that can be the problem with a lot of these slower paced horror movies that you're seeing right now. Uh, they, they wait to deliver this jolt that just may not be enough. And I do think by the time you get to the end of this movie, you kind of have a feeling of like, Oh, okay. Like that was kind of neat to see how things Close, how they closed that loop, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the best part of the movie. Um, but that whole feeling of what would I do in this situation, I thought Kevin Bacon did a pretty good job of playing a, a somewhat intelligent person. There were a few moments where he does some kind of dumb shit, but like there's this whole scene where they realize they need to kind of stay together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the house, because, and, and the way that that gets broken is, is like you feel like it's a mistake you could have made. Uh, I don't want to say too much more than that, but um, yeah. Um, so relic, no one has seen, I would, yeah. I would, I guess I would recommend that one to you guys, but it's another one that has the sort of low body count <laughs> problem, but it's really nightmarish and really creepy. And I would say that if it has any detriment as a horror film, it's that as it goes on, it becomes more sad than scary. Um, cause it, it's kind of overlaying a horror movie plot line with, a, a, a like a senile dementia story or a, you know, it's a, it's a woman who goes to check on her mom who no one has seen for a few days. Uh, and, and then it kind of goes from there when they get to the house, what's going on with, with the mom and you slowly piece it together and it maps to a person who's kind of losing their, their life through losing their memory. But it also plays as kind of a possession story, you know, with a demonic presence in the house. Um, so it's a little bit weird. I mean, I don't know. It's, I could see people thinking that's very poetic. I could also see some people finding it kind of offensive to uh, almost demonize a person who's in this state. But I think the movie ultimately ends in a sort of a compassionate place. But it's got some really crazy imagery in it. And again, it only suffered from, for me, feeling like it needed a little more uh, tangible carnage sort of to really keep me fully hooked. But as far as atmosphere and... Um, the young director, uh, I think it's her first film, Natalie Erica James. She directed the movie and co-wrote it with someone named Christian White. Um, again, the, the way that it's filmed, the, the, the atmosphere, it reminded me a little bit of Ari Aster's stuff, where it's just a really uh, controlled 
visual style that that allows you to be unsettled at moments by things that are just kind of creeping into the edge of the frame, you know? Right. Um, so effective, effective horror, but ultimately it didn't... Like, I, in the middle of it, I was like, this is pretty good. And when it got to the end, I was like, well, that was solid. And um, Scare Package, you guys know how we all feel about anthology films, right? <laughs> Scare Package really tries to break the mold. And in some ways, it is kind of fun to see what the filmmakers try. There's a lot of names I've not seen before. Um, but it's got a pretty diverse cast of directors. And I think that is something that works in its favor. But it's a little in love with its kind of meta horror, t- horror tone. It's got a lot of commentary on the genre with the wraparound, especially has a lot of kind of jokey stuff. And some of that works, but some of it is really forced. I don't know. It, I felt really tired of it by the end, but I remember feeling the same way with almost every horror anthology film that we watched, like all the VHS movies had, had kind of clunker segments in them. Um, and, uh, and then Two Heads Creek. Have you have you seen anything about that? I figured you may have. If anyone had, Steve, the the Australian kind of horror comedy. Yeah, I haven't. I've read a, a couple of reviews of it. I haven't seen it though. Eh, it gets it gets way silly. It's got some fun stuff, but it's really trying to be like early Sam Raimi or early Peter Jackson kind of tasteless fun, and uh, a little in love with its uh, own style too much. Mm. And by the time it gets to the end, it's a little too silly. Like I think it could have gone in a slightly darker direction and been a, a bit more effective for me. But um, you know, it's not not without its moments. But um, another one that by the time I got to the end, I was like, meh, meh. so I guess I'm still out there looking <laughs> for that great new horror film. So if you ask me, horror are you doing? I would say, okay, meh. I'll survive. <laughs> H- have you seen anything, Steve, that you would add, add to my list? Yeah, I was like, has there been a great horror movie this, this year? Well, we all liked the lodge. That was pretty good. Um, yeah, that was earlier. I'm trying to think what else I've watched that was horror. God, I really haven't watched many horror movies this year at all. Um, the best horror movie I've seen in a while is the Halloween Kills teaser. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Yeah, Invisible Man. Oh, yeah, Invisible Man. That, that counts. Uh, yeah, that I mean, that, that's, that's like one of the better movies I've seen this year. I mean, also, that, that was definitely horror. Yeah, I guess I really haven't seen much horror this year, man. I want to watch Relic. I'd, I'd heard decent things about it, so I want to check that out still. But, yeah, it's not much... Not much out there. I think it's a good movie. I think if someone goes into it hoping that it's going to be that horror film, they will be once again complaining about the elevated horror genre. Right, um, right. But, but for me, it's like, again, I think that is what I would say about a lot of those movies is, yeah, that was a good movie, but I don't know if it left you with the, the sort, of, sort of pulpy excitement <laughs> that a, a really good classic horror movie will do. But um, for, just as far as imagery, and again, the, the filmmaking, uh, what's her name again? Natalie, Erica, James. Um, I feel like she's one of those people who I would, you know, I hope she stays in genre because she had a real knack for, like the sound design was genuinely unsettling. Um, uh, I watched it with with headphones on and so I really got all the weird throat noises and wheezing breath and creaking floorboards and it's just, yeah. It definitely, it almost never stops the sense that this house is kind of, growing or changing as they're as they're in it but it's not that scary right i didn't see greyhound i want to watch that yeah did you guys did either of you watch the old did you watch the old guard uh Anybody? i started on it and it wasn't i didn't stop because I, I wanted to um if i watch a movie at seven o'clock aaron falls asleep and it just i cannot <laughs> finish a movie and then she gets weird like She's like, you can watch it without me, but if I finish it, 
and I tell her I like it, and she acts weird, like I should have waited for her. So um, I will say this: uh, within the first twenty minutes of me watching it, I, I'm not I'm not going to spoil this, man. I'm, I want I really want people to unpack this movie. I did not know that it was about what it was about. That's all I'll say. That's all I'm going to say. And is, and is that because you hadn't watched the trailer or don't know like the source material? Like you just didn't know anything know. about e- it at all. Either, either one. Um, there for okay. action movies, I try not to watch the trailers mostly because uh, they tend to put heavy duty plot spoilers in it, in it for some reason. Um, unless it's like a Christopher Nolan movie, we're gonna get spoilers in the trailer. Um, right. And so you know, I I avoided it. I saw the poster. I liked it. Um, I did like the idea of a, you know, the director. Um, I'd heard good things about uh, shorts that she'd done, but um, yeah, I only saw the first twenty minutes and I, I was shocked. <laughs> I was fucking shocked. It's kind of good, yeah. I mean, I I don't I I I'd, I'd watched the trailer, so I knew what it was about, and I had watched like or I had read like an interview with her. Like I think it was. It was one of those, it might have even been a part or one of the companion things when they did that Mad Max Fury Road um, oral history. Like I met a, another article that came out like right after that about her and this production, like just another movie where, you know, she's like an action star in it. And um, God, I love Charlize Theron. Like she is, she's like towards the top of my list. Like she is such a good She's a star. Like she's like one of those stars that still is out there, I think. Like especially like last year thinking about like even just in this sentence mentioning, you know, Mad Max Fury Road, this film, last year one of my favorite movies was Long Shot, which she's in which is a straight up comedy. And That's so good. um to see her to see her come back in like, you know, another action movie, you know, she was also like an atomic blonde. Like this is more in that realm of action like where it's just a lot of like really cool choreographed action sequences and some cool gunplay stuff like you know the john you know some of that we're seeing in these t- types of movies but um it's also just a cool story like I, I don't know anything about the novels or the graphic novels or the comics that it's based on um and i think this is probably some sort of franchise that netflix is trying to kind of roll out but i would recommend this movie i mean it's it's a solid action movie and one of the better action movies that probably netflix has done in a long time um I also, you know, I liked Extraction, which they put out earlier this year, which was the Chris Hemsworth movie. Um, I think this is kind of in line with that movie. I don't know which one I'd, I'd probably say I liked more, but this is a more interesting story because of the whole, I don't know, not to spoil anything if we're not spoiling what you're kind of alluding to, Ronald, but like that that idea of what these people are, like this, this, this the old guard crew or whatever, these leads... And kind of how or what kind of implications it has on society and humanity and science and things like that. It's some cool stuff. And I mean, like, it kind of dips into um, other, uh, I don't want to, I'm trying not to spoil anything, other uh, types of movies that they could explore um, with this property. But I mean, straightforward, I mean, from beginning to end, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun action movie. And it's a diverse cast. It's got lots of representation um, all over the spectrum, and um, and and at the front of it, you have a, a just a kick-ass female action star, and Charlize is that person. I mean, she's one of my favorites, and she's so good in it. And um, like the fight scenes are really good, and 
the cast is really good, is really strong. So, I mean, I would, I would say check it out or, or finish it on your end, you know, since you started it. But um, I was surprised. I was kind of, I kind of was passively watching it. I put it on just to kind of like watch another one of the new releases. And uh, it's a solid action movie. And it's, it's one of the better ones that Netflix, Netflix has done recently for sure. People seem to dig it. And I know some people that, that know the comic that said right, that it just right. kind of barely barely gets at some of the the stuff that happens. So I guess, yeah, if it's intended to be a franchise, I agree with you. You couldn't be in in business with a better, more magnetic action star, uh, an actor in general, than uh, uh, Charlize Theron. She's really kind of proven her mettle in that genre in a way that's really interesting. She's carved out a really cool, unique spot for herself, I think. So yeah. Um, yeah, I love her. Did you read this week where she alluded to being heartbroken, I believe is yeah. what she said, that she wasn't yeah. going to be in the Furiosa movie? Yeah. She said she understands, she trusts what George Miller plans to do, that it's a prequel and he needs someone younger, but that she feels, you know, she feels protective and attached to that character. So she was she was bummed not to get to do it. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine so. You know, that's kind of, it is a kind of a bummer, you know, uh, especially when you, you get that kind of bang for your buck in fury road where like she steals the movie and you know that's what that's the character everybody talks about is her to go with the prequel route to a younger star i mean i get it i get it too and you, you want to trust him because he, he did so well with that one but that said i mean maybe uh maybe there's plans for a franchise uh with the old guard because uh she is awesome in this movie and i could totally see that so not that it's at the same level as mad max by any means but you know, Netflix is, seems to be pumping these movies out. So if, uh, are, if that's man. in her, if that's in her, you know, plan, uh, it seems like she she may have an option to have a, a little franchise here, especially because it's like, you know, doing really well on Netflix in the first weekend. That makes me happy. What do you guys think of the news that John Hamm is uh, is Fletch in the Fletch reboot, which is going to be directed by Greg Matola? Love it. Yeah, feels good, doesn't it? That's all I got to say. Love it. Ham feels good. Matola feels great. I, I I love the idea of it finally happening. Uh, Ham has been pretty outspoken over the years of wanting to do this, and he, like every podcast I've ever heard him on, maybe exaggeration, but most of interviews, like he always finds a way to mention Fletch, and you can tell that he has a love for the property. <laughs> and I, I really like Greg Matola as well, and uh, most of the movies that he's directed. So. I'm. I would definitely be excited to see what they could do with this franchise for sure. What do you think, Ronald? Um, I don't know much about Fletch. Like, I never really watched uh, Fletch uh, growing up. Um, so I have no no real nothing to say besides John. If there's gonna be anybody that could do it, John Hamm has the acting chops. Uh, he's his comedic timing is so on point, and it's so weird to me. That he's never really uh, made it far. I don't want to say made it far. How can I word this? It makes me sad that he hasn't been able to succeed quite as well in the movie realm as he has on the TV realm because he he shines. Like you can, I can give you fifty clips of him being amazing in various TV shows, but I can't say the same for his movie appearances. And if this can do that for him and get him in this kind of realm where he's developing more of a you know like a comedy side especially coming from you know he's always going to be known for Mad Men but if he could show that he could do he could carry a movie I'm down man so it makes me super happy sure 
No, I've always wondered when he would get like a franchise or something that would become his thing outside of Don Draper. Similar to what I used to wonder about J- James Gandolfini, rest in peace, it would be like, how can he ever overshadow, uh, overshadow uh, Tony Soprano? And I feel like with John Hamm, yeah, the Don Draper thing is huge. But this honestly feels like the reason why I think I'm excited and it sounds like you are too, Steve, is because this feels like the right vehicle for John Hamm because he can be goofy, he can be funny, he's got this kind of sexy cool thing going on that people forget now that chevy chase in the 80s still had a little bit of that yeah he was like the sexy cool guy I and, know. and yeah and yeah. funny and i think that it's different and i think the movie that they made in the 80s was was a pretty good fletch adaptation but i think nowadays you know it's they're they're set to do something because there's several books uh so there's a lot of material and i think they're doing a particular book i read all the books back in the day um and the book that they're doing, I think, is one of the good ones. So, um, oh, nice. anyway, they're all good. But I'm saying there was one that I kind of remember the story. It's got a lot of cr- like a lot of crazy cross purposes in it, and lots of memorable <clears throat> characters. So, yeah, I think it's a good vehicle for exactly what you just said, Ronald. This feels to me like the role that can put John Hamm on the map in terms of being not so much of a draw for movies, but just giving him that iconic character on the big screen. Because for such a talented, magnetic guy, he did seem kind of trapped in the the TV mode and always shown in these little roles where he pops up and kind of, you know, plays the, the butt of the joke a lot of times. So this is a great way for him to be that play into his goofiness and butt of the joke, but also be kind of a cool private eye who's, you know, nosing around and, 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 you know, disguising himself and, and kind of pulling pranks to find stuff out. (laughs) So it's, uh, there's a lot of room for this to be a great fun movie and for this to be a great, uh, uh, part for him. Any other movie news? Uh, nothing news-wise. I want to say, Steve, uh, uh, thank you for recommending Outcry on Showtime. I, I, I watched that in within a couple days. That was a pretty crazy story. <clears throat> oh, man. So emotional watching that movie, or watching that series. I, I couldn't help myself. That last episode really got me. Yeah. Did you watch it, Ronald? Outcry? No, no. Um, what's it about? It's a high school football star who is accused of pedophilia and abusing a four-year-old and then the question of his guilt is entered into it and then how that plays out it's not as familiar as it might sound like you might be thinking like making a murderer where you've got this sort of person at the center that you wonder if they're innocent or not there is a, a bit of that but but the the focus of this is kind of like how would you claw your way back to any kind of normalcy once this accusation has been made against you? You know, especially especially if I mean, again, it's unclear. Um, certain things are unclear uh, as the as the series rolls along, and I, I wouldn't want to take that suspense away from anybody. I would say don't look it up, don't look up any news headlines or anything like that. Um, let it unfold. But you you go back and forth and end up in some pretty interesting places. And like Steve said, the very ending is an extremely powerful episode that leaves you still later. I don't know if you felt this way, Steve, but kind of wondering still how to feel about it all. Like it really is a, right, a, a right. an interesting dissection of a of a what seems like a miscarriage of justice, and then some attempt to make that right. And then you wonder, can you ever make a situation right once? Once this has happened, once this accusation has happened, it's only I think it's only five episodes, Ronald. So it's it's a pretty short docu series. Um, but yeah, it's just a it's it is kind of a little different in the way you think some of these go. Um, I guess in terms of uh, where the central figure is kind of ending up at the end of each episode, like it moves it moves a little differently in terms of the story it's telling. And I would agree, like 
I intentionally didn't look it up. Like after the watching the first couple of episodes, I would I would encourage anybody interested, like just don't look up the name, don't look up the story. If it sounds interesting, just try to watch it. Um, if you have Showtime anytime, all the episodes are available now, and I think on Showtime proper, it's it's airing um, one episode a week over the next. I think there's three more episodes to air before it, it airs its finale um, in real time, but. It's a yeah, just a really well-made docu series. Um, really, just a really crazy story, and uh, sadly, just like another example of uh, another way in which the what seems to be like a you know the criminal justice system failing multiple people uh, in one in one example. You know what I mean? Like this is a case where you know an individual's rights and you know their freedom and their future and and even the victims and you know, you know, just like you, you think about the spider web that gets created by, you know, just this kind of gross misconduct and, um, you know, counsel not supporting a client properly, whatever, all these things that spin out in this story, you know, you just, you start to see a big picture of not just, you know, the, the main subject of the story, but, you know, the, the, you know, the, the kids involved and the families of those kids and just the community as a whole, the, you know, the support system that this, that this guy has, like his family and his loved ones. It's just, it's just really kind of exponential in terms of how widespread the failure affects individuals of the community and the community as a whole. Um, and it's just really sad. And it's just really, it's, it's, um, it's really sad to watch. And, you know, I think it's, it's kind of a unique series I don't want to. I don't want to say more about like what happens with the story, but it's unique in the sense that um, it is quite a emotional roller coaster in terms of what this uh, man is kind of experienced through this whole story and like the ups and downs of of his efforts and where where he kind of ends up. But um, definitely, I mean, it's it's one of the most compelling things I've watched in a long time, and we watch all these series out of this kind. You know, like we're watching. You know, I'll be gone in the dark. It's it's had a couple more episodes, and it's one of the best ever, I think. The, these things are all, like, top-notch great stuff for this genre, for the docuseries, you know, format, and, you know, on these premium cable channels. But, um, I don't know. Just something about this story is so unique. Well, in order to be good, these shows have to get at the human story. And I think that Outcry has one way of getting at the human story, and I'll Be Gone in the Dark has another way of getting at the human story, which is... Which are both so compelling, and it wouldn't be interesting if it was just for the sort of true crime, quote unquote, right, aspect right, right. of it. And, right. and I would say, particularly with Outcry, you said that the pacing was kind of interesting. It got to the end of the third episode, and I was kind of wondering how there could possibly be two I more know. episodes. I know. But bo- I know. boy, is there so much story there. And as far as like heroes and villains, you know, you don't have any and never have I ever. But, um, this show, you definitely come away with some villains, I think, and and some heroes, oh. and a lot of people who just seem to have integrity. I think that was what I was really impressed by. There's a few people who have integrity. Um, uh, there's a there's a DA in particular who I think just seems like a good guy, and he seems Absolutely. like he's like even though he's on the prosecutorial side, he's someone who's really wanting to be fair, and I was and I like, find that yeah. very moving in 2020. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would say is that, Ronald, it's the one of those docu-series or documentaries where they have the advantage of, at some point, the story catches up with the documentary, and then you realize you're watching things happen. Like, you're no longer hearing the story. You're, you're filming, like, the, the filmmakers are in the courtroom. They're, they're, it's, they're, it's, it's, it's cool the way the story develops. You don't really know 
where it's going beyond a certain point. Um, and I think that's another way that it becomes compelling. It really feels like they filmed, they were there to film. I guess Making a Murderer had that effect too, that yeah. it feels like they were just sitting around filming everything while things were actually happening. But this was even more concise and again, a little bit different of a story. And the only thing that kind of left me with a little bit of a question, I don't know if the, the show grapples with this, but it, it kind of does, is that this kid is very lucky. Um, they talk a lot about how many innocent people are in prison in this series. There's definitely some affluent people willing to support the guy who's the star of the, the high school football team. That's huge in Texas. You know, that's, they say even in there that it's like religious, uh, to them, sure. high school football. Um, so the fact that this kid is pretty lucky, um, and, and so his, his innocence or the question of his innocence can actually be debated and brought up and fought for. And a lot of people don't have anywhere near that support and anywhere near that, um, uh, luck that, of having Definitely. people that would back them up. And I felt like that was something that was creeping into my mind the whole time. And I don't know that the show quite, they mentioned that, but they don't quite, really address it in a way that made me go, okay, this story is being told in a really exquisitely done way, but also this guy's story is kind of an outlier. The, a lot of the other people who have, uh, you know, uh, been potentially sent to prison who were innocent, um, you know, there's tons of those stories that won't be told. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, let me, let me rattle off some stuff I've been watching. Um, Hannibal Burris just put out a free comedy special on YouTube. Um, that's worth watching. Um, let me find out the exact name of it. Uh, Hannibal. It's in Miami. I know that it's Miami related and related to his arrest in Miami. It's called Miami Nights. <laughs> um, it's really good. Um, it is a pretty cool, I, I would say, I'd use the word innovative um, style of stand-up that I just have not seen done uh, at all, period, in I've only really seen through him. I've seen him live at this point close to 10 times. Um, sometimes, sometimes not even on purpose. I've gone to see other people and then he would he would kind of come along. And um, But Hannibal's one of my favorite comedians. He hasn't been canceled. Uh, just got to point that out. He's the one. He's the one. Yeah, he, you're right. He's the, he is the one. And um, this, this, he uses media in a way that i just haven't seen in stand-up before and um it's definitely worth checking out it's odd and you come to realize that maybe eric andre wasn't the only crazy person on that show like and and this is something that i've realized way before the show started but yeah that there's a little bit of craziness to him that you you may have thought was just credited to eric andre's writing that has nothing to do with him and everything to do with how how nuts Hannibal is in in a drier way, but it's it's definitely worth checking out. Um, Harley Quinn just closed, just finished its uh, second season. Please see that show. I keep emphasizing Harley Quinn, best stuff ever right now. Um, those are two, and then I'll let you guys go. And I have some more, but. What else have you guys been watching? I think I, I also watched, not to circle back and spend too much time, but we, we actually watched Never Have I Ever also, and I thought that was great. You thought it was great? Uh, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, it's Yeah, it's great. I mean, to the point that Aaron left me in the dust and watched it without me, and I had to do <laughs> it on my own. She betrayed you. She betrayed me, dude. Like, <laughs> I, fell asleep, I, fell, I fell asleep one night, and I woke up, and like Netflix is on like episode seven or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> but yeah, but yeah, so I finished it on my own. But yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, it's so so efficient in its storytelling. Yeah, and I love the idea that like you know, there's really not a real villain. I also absolutely love the John Macaro narration. I fucking think that's so funny, and uh, just yeah, so so funny to have him narrate the episodes. Honestly, I really I really had just watched a bunch of movies this week. I I mean, talked about it too much on this podcast, but I'm doing a rewatch of Stranger Things. I'm like, I'm uh, I'm wanting some new Stranger Things episodes, man. I I want another season of that of that show so bad. I don't know. So yeah, I've been spending a lot of time watch, watching that again. But outside of that, and never have I ever, I think mostly what I watched were the movies that we'd already talked about. So yeah, if you guys have other stuff you checked out, definitely throw it out there. What about you, Ronald? So a couple, the shot started back up. Um, is that Showtime show? Um, big yeah. fan of that. Um, season three at this point. Um, it is weird because... Uh, there have been some casting changes. Uh, you can look into that. I don't want to go get into it. But, um, yeah, there have been some casting changes since the first and second season, which have dramatically changed the dynamic of the show. And somehow it still is anchored by hmm. the great an- uh, acting, man. It's 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 still a, a solid show with, with a lot of drama. Um, I finished Hulu's uh, Little, uh, Little Fires Everywhere. Jesus Christ, intense. Uh, very triggering, but worth a look because it'll spark some conversations in your homes. Definitely check that out. The church drama, the own network, uh, Oprah's uh, network, she has a show called Greenleaf on there, which is a church drama. If you want to see a soap opera and you want to see drama and you want to get into a world that you may not be super familiar with, um, Greenleaf is the way to go, man. The first two seasons are on Netflix. The current one is airing on OWN. Check that out, man. It is a it is a weird one. It is a soap opera, and you will love um, the cast. Keith David's in it, and that's all I'm going to say. I don't know how you feel about him, but he's doing like Shakespearean level acting in that shit. Um, Brock <laughs> Meyer with Hank Azaria. Jesus Christ, man. Why did I not give this show a chance? Um, it's on Hulu. Oh, I think it's like two seasons on there right now. It is one of the funniest shows I've ever seen in my life, hands down. Yeah, I second. It is written. It is written so. You watch it? Oh yeah, I love that show. I'm, oh yeah, man, it's, it's so it's good. One of the fun. It's one of the funniest shows out there. It's hilarious. It's one. Of, yes, in the last show that I'm gonna point out to you guys is one that is a little unconventional, and I'm gonna I'm gonna point you guys to it. Stars has a show called P Valley. Short, short for Pussy Valley, which is about a strip club in Houston. And it, it kind of has the bones of um, Ice Cube's Players Club that came out a couple years ago. You kind of get, you dive into this world of exotic dancing and people just trying to make it. And it humanizes people. It humanizes the work. It humanizes the people surrounding the business. And it is drama filled and it is, it feels authentic. It feels like, like you feel kind of dirty because it feels like you're coming into a situation that you shouldn't be in. I'm like, should I be in this locker room of these strippers talking about their lives and getting out of the game and all this stuff? But P Valley is one of my my favorite shows, prospects of for uh, a first season that I've seen. One of the better pilots that I've seen in a really long time. So um, give that a try. So that's that's what I've been watching. 
The only other thing I've watched is uh, is Perry Mason. I've watched the first four episodes of that on on HBO, and it's uh, you know it feels very Boardwalk Empire adjacent. Uh, if you liked the tone of that show, um, I think that this fits sort of in with that that period piece world. It's got that HBO production value. It's got some interesting twists on some of the characters. Um, the cast is reasonably diverse for this era based on a previous conversation we had about period pieces and how, how, how Lily white they can be like, they've made some efforts to make some of the recurring characters, um, a bit more interesting, uh, because of, you know, the fact that it takes place in the twenties. Um, there's some interesting things you can deal with if you're willing to, uh, but it, it, uh, right now, I think I just like it because of the, the mystery aspect of it. And it's fun to watch. Actors like Matthew Reese and um, uh, uh, Shea Wiggum, John Lithgow, uh, Tatiana Maslany is in it. Um, you know, there's just some just some interesting performers, um, <clears throat> and it's got that. It's a little bit like at eight episodes. I don't know if it might feel a little drawn out by the time it gets to the end, but right now the mystery is is cooking along nicely, and it's kind of a uh, an origin story, I guess, for Perry Mason, it seems like, because he's not practicing law yet, and it's unclear to me how he becomes a lawyer in the remaining episodes that we have, but, um, you know, I have a feeling that's where this season is going, is that it's, at the end of it, he's going to be practicing as a lawyer, because that was his thing, was he was sort of the, the if there was any formula to that, it was that his, his clients were, were always innocent, and he usually got the bad guy to confess on the stand, you know, so that's a, I don't know if HBO's going to go that formulaic. But um, as far as a period piece with an interesting idea, I really don't know what there is of the Perry Mason character that people know from the Raymond Burr television show from the 60s. I don't even know if you guys even know that show. It was a staple of like syndicated television when I was a kid. So I saw tons of it. Um, I don't really have much except for a few character names that's attached to this. So there's really nothing sacred about it. It kind of feels to me like the way people can take Dracula or Sherlock Holmes and just take the name and kind of put a new spin on it. So right. um, this d- doesn't really resemble in any way any any idea I had of Perry Mason, the character. But there's Perry Mason and Paul Drake and Della Street and different characters that I remember from the show that are, are just in this. Um, and uh, yeah, so it really feels like it went through this, you know, that HBO development process. And I think they're going back to the original novels from the 30s that I didn't even know existed. So um, it kind of feels like a weird niche product (laughs) like that name might mean something to people of a certain age but i don't know who below like 35 has even heard of perry mason so um it's almost hard to know what the draw was there maybe hbo is trying to go for the the uh you know 60 and above demographic with this but um you know it's got all the nudity and violence of their their rougher shows so it's a little hard to know who the actual intended audience is for this except for just people who say oh that show on hbo looks good let's check it out um but anyway i'm a sucker for that kind of story so i'm, I'm on board at this point yeah i want to check that out i have I, it's another one of those i haven't really been watching much hbo because i can't get the i kind of don't want to watch it on my ipad i want to watch it on my roku but that still can't get hbo max on there what the hell is going on? We, let's talk about this for a second, man. Yeah, let's do. That's a great. That's a great topic to end on. I don't know, man. Yeah. So Peacock just came out, and they they've announced that that it isn't coming out on anything besides the, the platforms that it's on in the foreseeable future. Um, it's it's starting to feel like a device war on top of it being a streaming service war, and that to me is the most messed up part about all of this. On top of just you know the, the 
content is being fragmented, right? So we have to go to different things to watch uh, different things, uh, different services to watch different things. And on top of that, you got to be careful about the device you get because of the specific device won't necessarily play the specific thing. And there's a big price gap in, in between some of those things. So like if you don't want to spend what it costs for an Apple TV necessarily on a device right, and you want something right. to go into four, three, four rooms or three rooms or two rooms or, you know, who, who can cough up $120 for each room, you know? There's something really weird about what's happening right now, and and I and look, I've, I'm an Apple TV head. I do love it, and I'm invested. But I understand if somebody wants to do an alternative device, and I don't understand why the hell it's happening the way that it's happening. And I'm pissed because I can't talk to you guys about it, about stuff because you can't watch it with the freedom that you could, you know, right, right, with other services like Netflix. It's crazy because. I was reading an article earlier today, actually, um, when we were talking about Peacock, but that like between Roku and the Amazon devices, there's an estimate that they account for 70% of the set-top streaming in, I think it, I think this article was, was about the United States, but doesn't, I mean, how, how do you launch a streaming service and not have it on in an alleged 70% of streaming set-top boxes in, in, in one of the major markets that you're releasing. That, that just seems crazy to me. Like, I, I don't understand from a business perspective or a product perspective how that many... I guess, they're, I guess they're banking on people watching it on devices, like mobile devices, as opposed to set-top boxes outside of an Apple TV or some of the gaming consoles or the smart TVs that it's available on. But I mean... If that's a correct estimate, if even if it's sixty percent, but I mean, a couple articles were saying seventy percent of them in the United States are Roku and/or Amazon-based devices. That's just bonkers to me. Like I literally haven't watched hardly anything on HBO Max outside of the Doctor Sleep director's cut again. But like the series that I want to watch are just kind of queuing up because I just haven't. And I'm not sitting down in front of my iPad watching stuff i'm watching it on my tv especially at home you know it's just kind of a weird it's a weird decision but i don't know i don't know what, what it's going to look like in the future like the subscription fee should already be what they're going for right like the, the fact right. that they want it to be married to some device and they want you to have i mean because we have a, you know one ps4 and that's upstairs and henry uses that to game and we don't have that in the sort of family room for watching television because frequently Nikki and I want to watch something and he can he can be upstairs gaming. So we don't want to buy a second PS4 right now with PS5s coming out. And we don't, I mean, we were getting ready to buy a Roku, but now that Peacock and HBO Max aren't available for it yet, I've been sort of going, well, I'll wait, I guess, for some of this stuff. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think the general question is just what is the configuration that you want? Which services are you really going to want? I do think it's a little bit strange to think you're going to want to watch it on your devices um, as opposed to on your television, especially with everybody cooped up at home, which I think is, I think you said, Steve. So I don't know. I think it's, um, 
I don't know. It, it really does seem like a weird oversight. And it reminds me of those times when Apple would put something out and, and it would be like, here, in order to use this feature, you need to have an HD television or whatever. And it felt like a right. step up that was being forced on people. You know, well, you can't use an Apple TV without an HDMI connection. And it's like, no, we're just not going to do it. We're not going to make this box any bigger and put any other uh, connections on it because we think that is the, the past, you know, and sometimes the technology kind of pushes you towards some kind of future but right now there's not even an obvious for me there's not an obvious single solution to all this i say i guess except what you said ronald spending a little bit more and getting getting a device that does cover it but but it's a little weird to think you have to spend that much when we're already paying for the content through our subscription so it does kind of feel like like what are they trying to do they're trying to make you need a cable connection besides or they're trying to make you I don't know, pay some premium to have the version that you can you can go onto your television with? Because I'm on an LG television, and there's certain things that are just integrated. You know, the smart TV aspect is great. And I wish everything would be that easy. I don't know why I can't have um, some, of these, some of these streaming services on there. So I don't know. I don't mind watching some things on my computer, but when we get together as a family to watch a show, I, you know, we want it on the television. Yeah, definitely. Coding it can be a little weird. So, like, if you have five devices that you have to make software for versus one, I understand that that can be a challenge. And I understand that like licensing is a thing and I understand all that stuff, but like it, it feels like almost like a console war where like, you know, you you get Sega to get Sonic, you get Mario, you get a Nintendo. It, it just feels like it's, it's forcing people to do that. And look, I, I love my devices, man. I, I, I am, I, I have a very healthy understanding that sometimes, um, you know, I'm a video file and, and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to spend money for a thing because I know that I'm kind of future proofing my stuff, but you shouldn't have to do that for content in the way that you do for like a computer or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be like, it should be like, I get a device it should be able to play all the things that, that exist in this world of apps. It, apps are, are like, you know, you see you see one to download. It's like 50 megs. It's not like a, 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 a gig thing where you're like a robust game, like you're getting on a console. This is like I'm, I'm a, a hundred megabytes, the size of an album to put on a device sometimes, sometimes less for some of these things. So... It's a little irritating. I want you guys to be able to see things. I also want things to be accessible for people, man. It's for real. Like, it, it, you know, when it starts to become like a, a weird thing where they're discriminating against devices because they're cheaper or maybe because it feels like that's what they're doing. It feels like they're pushing people towards like, yeah, that's cool, but you should probably get something that costs a little more because it, it covers this stuff or the branding of it, you know, because it, it, it doesn't sound quite as good to to come out the ear to be like look you have a you have this device versus having an apple device or having a roku or having a you know it's like that stuff is weird to me and i think that at some point we're gonna have to get to it's like quibi quibi saying we don't want to put things on on a set top it doesn't make any sense like nobody wants to see shit on their phone people aren't moving around as much as they are they used to and it's not happening anytime soon so I think there should be some adjustments. That's that's my rant, and I, you know, I I feel like it's going to keep happening. Um, 
and uh, I don't know. It's weird because, like, well, actually, it's not weird. I mean, it's pretty common. I mean, I think, at least for the Roku, because that's the one I've kind of been researching a little more because that's what I have, but it really just comes down to money. It really isn't like a programming, coding, you know, ecosystem compatibility issue. Like, it really has nothing to do with that. It really just comes down to... Like, basically, two ways that Roku makes money. They make money off of, like, when you download the app, they uh, they take a cut from, like, sign-ups. So, like, if the app was available in the store, you downloaded it. If you created an HBO Max account in there, you know, they take a cut of that. It's a certain percentage. And then oh. the, the other piece is, like, ad inventory. So, how much control over ads that Roku has in that channel or in that app, you know, is dictated by them. And, you know, that's kind of, I think, from what I've read, the two big revenue streams that, <clears throat> you know, that um, that Warner Media and um, NBC Universal basically are going back and forth about. Like, basically, they don't want Roku to take their reportedly, I think it's 20% <clears throat> for apps, for in-app signups for accounts, and they don't want that. They, they don't want people to sign up through the Roku channel and Roku to take 20% of whatever that monthly subscription fee is from those two companies. And, you know, while there may not be um, a lot of ad inventory in an app like HBO Max, but like the Peacock app obviously is going to be ad driven. And I think that, you know, the access that NBC Universal gets to the data coming from those apps on the user, on the platform, on the device it just seems like that's really what it's coming down to is like money and data. And I, it's I, nothing that I have read seems very optimistic about these things being on at least Roku uh, anytime relatively soon, which is just bonkers to me. But yeah, it just seems like it's money motivated, which is no surprise. Mm. But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll have an update for this in a couple couple episodes. We'll have to check in and see if if either are available on uh, Roku and or Amazon by that time. But I'd be curious. Yeah. But for now, it's it's to, to the iPad I go. I guess if I want to watch something, <laughs> uh, it's okay. I could have life could be worse you know what i mean like this is uh <laughs> yes right this is, this, is, this is a real serious this is a real serious problem we're discussing right now it's like uh so perspective i guess we got to keep it right so right um yeah i don't know man i got nothing else beyond this um i definitely want to check out relic between now and the next episode i want to watch greyhound it's a couple shows i want to catch up on so hopefully we can talk about that maybe next week and uh, yeah. you guys can catch up on your list as well. Well, moviesmovie.com is the website. You can find us on hopefully every podcast platform that there is out there. I have a podcast, Spotify. Um, if you don't see us, let us know uh, and whatever your favorite one is, and we'll try to get there. But if you follow us on facebook.com slash moviesmovie, um, where we post episodes every week when we publish them, um, let us know what you think about the episode. Um, if you follow us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, a star rating, whatever you can do to give us some feedback. We'd appreciate it. Recommend hair care products. Hair care, whatever it is. Yeah, that, that's probably a good conversation to have on Facebook if you want to open yeah. that dialogue. John <laughs> would love to have that conversation with you. Yeah, um, I'm trying to fight the frizz, guys, without making it too heavy. 
yeah, but thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. And as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.